Okay, so I want you to actually take a second or two, and I want you to answer this question. What do you judge? What comes to your mind that's like, it's really easy for me to judge this? For me, it's really easy to judge how people treat others. Uh, and I know that maybe sounds like, oh, that's a good thing. Um, but it's not necessarily always a great thing for me. I can judge people because they, I feel like they're treating people how, like, less than I would that I could do it better um or like the other night we had Sandlot night and one of my guests was being like real like somebody that I brought in was being really loud during the movie and I was like what are you doing you're being really disrespectful I was like thinking this in my head judging them but really what I was thinking was oh my gosh what if somebody watching the movie is going to judge me for having this person here we judge so quickly I'm sh I, I'm, I can't be sure but I'm guessing that when I asked that question, what do you judge? Something came to your mind pretty quickly. I don't have to do much convincing to tell you that we live in a culture that really at this point kind of uplifts judgment. And so when we hear this, this message that the kingdom of God says, do not judge, it's an imperative statement like, don't judge or you will be judged straight up. It's pretty obvious that that is in contradiction to the world and the culture that we live in. Not even like the non-Christian culture. For goodness sake, Christians, one of the things we're known for is being judgmental. So Jesus, when he proclaims this part of the sermon, he's not just talking to people back in the day. He's talking to us right now. And that's not this this kingdom of judgment is not one that he uplifts. In fact, earlier on in this sermon, he goes through the Beatitudes, giving these blessings, and he said, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And this seems to be the flip of, if you judge, you too will be judged. Like, it's the, the positive version of that, but he's uplifting here the people that are merciful. And what mercy is, is when you don't get something you deserve. It's not getting a speeding ticket when you were speeding. So when we practice mercy in this kingdom, what that often looks like is practicing forgiveness. You know what? Forgiveness may be the opposite of judgment. So what I want to move towards tonight as we look at this passage is what happens if we have a perspective of mercy and forgiveness as opposed to a perspective of judgment scripture says do not judge or you too will be judged the measure you use will be measured to you knowing this it actually motivates me a little bit like Oh my gosh, if I'm going to be judged, whoo, I need to make sure I'm not judging. Or if the measure I use to people, gosh, I don't want that. One commentator said this, and I agree, for the threat of God's judgment can often move us where appeals to God's love cannot. Think about Jax. Sometimes the threat of a timeout moves him towards obedience. But in this, Jesus is not just talking about this judgment someday. He's also talking about right now. He's saying the measure you use to judge other people will be used to you. If you are really gracious with people, they're probably more likely to be gracious to you. 
Yet if you are really judgmental about breaking rules, the minute you break a rule, I guarantee you people will be on your back about breaking that rule. When Jesus was preaching this sermon, he talked about there was he didn't talk about there was three different kinds of ways that people would have seen judgment, would have heard the word judge. The first word, the first way is like a civil kind of a judge in a court. And so he's not talking about that kind of judgment here. The next way that to judge would have been seen was discernment. And we can gather from knowing all of scripture, we can either gather from this part of scripture that he's not talking about, do not be discerning. The number of times that we are told to discern light from darkness, good from evil, hear pigs and dogs from children. So he's not telling us not to be discerning. And the last way that they would have heard this word judge is to discern someone's value, something's value, to put value, to take value from something. And that's what he's talking about. Do not judge, do not take value, even little bits from people. In Luke's, um, he has a parallel sermon on the plains. In this section, he tells, he has Jesus saying, do not judge or you too will be judged. Do not condemn or you too will be condemned. So it's even throwing that in there that we are told not to take value, not to condemn. The closest word we have in our English language is censorious, since I'm butchering that word, censoring. It's this idea of when we, like, if you're censoring a movie, you take something out, you remove something, you get rid of it, you cancel it. You take value from something. One of our student interns, when I was talking to them about um, cancel culture, said this, one mistake and you're canceled. I think it's a heightened right now because people are bored and judging others seems to be a pastime. Judging others seems to be a pastime. I agree. Think of the things you're watching, the conversations you're having, the thoughts in your head. How much of those are about judgment? I think of, I just like have this image of us sitting at the mall like, watching people walk by, judging what they wear, who they're with, what their body's like, how they're walking. It's become this pastime. So Christian, those following Jesus, if you're hearing this, Jesus is saying we are not to be people that take value, that sit at a mall and take things away from people. We are not to be people that cancel and get rid of other people's value. Yes, we are to be people that discern and make decisions based on good and evil and light and darkness, but we do not tell people that they are less valuable than they are. Because here's the deal. We know people's value. From the get-go, God created us and said, you are very good. And then throughout scripture, we see him continuing to put people into the lives of our forefathers to say, you, I want you to be the light of the world. You are my children. And then he sends his son 
to earth to get into the junk, into our mess, and then take on our sin to die on the cross, to defeat evil and death, so that one day we may be co-heirs of this kingdom where we are not to be judging. That one day we would be dwelling with him and that right now we would have the Holy Spirit. And with all of these things, what he's been doing is he's saying, you are worth it. I've redeemed you. I've bought you back. I've given you unsurpassable, unsurpassable worth. So what we do when we judge is we try to surpass that worth. We take that away from people. We are playing God. Yet what we are to do is to affirm this. Affirm the unsurpassable worth in another, not take it from them. So if we know this, why do we do it? Why do we judge? Jesus tells us, to figure that out, we have to look inward. He says, look at that log in your eye. So we look inward and we we ask why. Why do we judge? So I want to ask you that. Take a moment. Why do you judge? Why do you judge your roommate for the way they spend time with the opposite sex? Why do you judge your professor for the way they administer tests? Why do you judge your parents for how they make decisions? Why do you judge people for how they vote? Why do you judge people how they follow their COVID policies. Why do you do it? I'm going to talk broadly about some reasons why I think we judge. First, I think we judge because we're insecure. And so because we feel bad about something in ourselves, we want to point out and take from somebody else. We do this a lot with appearance. Maybe at work, you see somebody working differently than you, and you want, oh, that's not how it's done. I do it better. But really, you're feeling really low about how you, how you work. We judge because we want to be morally, we think we're morally superior. And that may come out of insecurity. That may come out of a desire for power. But the easiest way for us to feel better about ourselves, the fastest way for us to assume that we can gather worth is to steal it from another person. So we think that we are more intelligent than somebody else, so they are less than. We think the way we would handle a situation is better, and so then we say, "Mm, you're not as good. We see this all over the political like realm right now, well, if you vote like this, then you are this. If you vote like this, then you are this. Telling people how they are because one person is better than the other. We judge because we are worried. Yes, Jesus talked about worry a second ago. He definitely has a lot to say together in this. But we are worried that somebody is not going to get what they should have coming to them. We are worried that people won't, won't get punished or will get away with something. So we judge. We see this. This is cancel culture for you. This is when your roommate gets broken up with and you decide that you are going to 
hate and put down the person that broke up with him. We judge because we're scared or fearful or worried about people that are different than us, about the other. We're worried that because they are different, they may hurt something that is valuable to us. We're worried that maybe we are wrong, so we judge them and put it away. We see this in a lot of like the COVID rule procedures. Well, I, I'm protecting and valuing my health, and so I'm judging you and telling you that you are no good because you're not wearing your mask. We judge because we look at you and project what we're afraid of in ourselves. So I do not see this thing in me, but oh, I see it so loud in you. <laughs> I did this this morning. Jonathan put London on the ground and there was like light bright toys on the ground. And I was like, what are you doing? And totally judged him for putting him on the gr her on the ground to swallow that. Where literally two days ago, I found a Tootsie Roll wrapper in her poop because I let her roam free on the ground of the hub, projecting onto him. We judge because we are afraid other people will judge us first. So we say things like, well, that thing's stupid or that's dumb or we put people into categories because we are afraid of being put into that category ourselves. And ultimately, I believe we judge because we do not actually understand and believe in the gift of forgiveness that's been given to us. Because if I actually believed that I was forgiven and given worth, redeemed, bought back, then why would I clamor to take worth from somebody else because I already have it? If I actually believed in this good judge, then why am I trying to act as judge? If I actually were to receive this gift of forgiveness, what I do with that when I receive it is I give it and I tell everyone, oh my gosh, there's this free gift. It's more than, you know, tagging you on the Instagram story to get the giveaway. It's actually giving it to you. It's a story of the unforgiving servant. This guy is forgiven a huge debt, but then he doesn't forgive the debt that somebody owes him. And, and Jesus is like, no, you don't get it. If you actually get and understand forgiveness, you are going to be pouring it out to other people. So I believe we judge because we do not understand that we are forgiven. Because when we do, then, then we find ourselves in a new perspective. We find ourselves at the foot of the cross looking up, recognizing that Jesus has taken on our judgment and has offered us forgiveness. And then we look around and we realize that the people that we've been trying to judge are right next to us. And we say, wow, how in the world can I judge you? Here we are. I have a new perspective, not one over someone, but one at the foot of the cross next to them. So how do we stop judging? First practical thing, we talk to all mission teams about this. Um, we turn our judgment into wonder. 
we talk to our mission teams about this because they go into different cultures. And so it's so easy to be like, why do they take a siesta? Or why do they talk like that? Or why do they work in that kind of capacity? But we say, no, as opposed to judging it, why don't you ask questions? Why don't you wonder being like, I wonder why they do that. You get curious and we do that with people. Man, I wonder why that person responds in that way. I wonder why that person acts like that in those kind of situations and we get curious and move towards them. We turn our judgment into wonder. And then we do what Jesus instructs us to do as we look inward. The passage continues and and Jesus tells us, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or why do you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye while all the matter of the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is such a good storyteller here. It's, it, it doesn't really need much explanation. How in the world can we see clearly if we've got, he's talking about a beam, like a beam in a house, like it's coming through our eye. How can we see anything clearly if we've got that giant beam? But we're so self-righteous that we don't even acknowledge this thing in our eye. We're just trying to pick out the thing in everybody else. And that self-righteousness didn't, didn't just happen in Jesus's time. There was a study done recently to high school seniors, and they were asked just things about themselves. They were asked, how many of you guys feel like you, what percentage of you feel like you are above average leadership-wise? 60% of them said above average leadership-wise. Sorry, 75%. 60% said they were above average athletically. And then get this. When they were asked, how many of you are above average in the way that you relate to people? Out of 829,000 seniors, 0% said they were below average. 0%. 60% of them said they're in the top 25, and 25% of them said they're top 1% of how they relate to people. Obviously, we've got a problem with self-righteousness. Theologian Dallas Willard says that he believes this beam in our eye is actually condemnation itself, like fault-finding. But whatever that is, whether that is condemnation, fault-finding, self-righteousness, we've got something blocking our perspective, and it is only until we get rid of that that we can see clearly. And here's the deal. Even though Jesus does say, take that out, we can't do that by ourselves. We actually need God to help us, to remove that, to be that great physician when we need somebody else, when we recognize this about ourselves, we are moved to humility. We are moved to being poor in spirit, another attribute that is uplifted in this kingdom. Henry Nouwen has a whole book called The Wounded Healer saying that it is not until we are healed ourselves that we can then move towards somebody else in healing. So how do we let Jesus heal us? We practice confession with another We ask people who are taking logs out of their eye to help us with ours because sometimes it's hard to see. Sometimes our gifts are the things that are causing us to not be able to see what is blocking us. So we bring other people in. We pray and sing things similar to the psalmist. 
where he says, search my heart, O Lord, and point out ways that are offensive within me. When we ask, he follows through. Gordon MacDonald, the author of Ordering Your Private Life, um, gives this example. He says, when you ask to have things revealed in your life, oftentimes what is revealed are these giant boulders. And you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe there's this boulder there, that beam. So then you begin to chip away at that boulder. And what happens when you chip away at a boulder? Well, you get, you know, a lot more big rocks. And then you begin to chip away at those rocks, and then you get a lot more medium rocks. You chip away at those, and you get a ton of little rocks, and then you chip away at those pebbles and then sand. We are constantly looking and probably pretty overwhelmed by the amount of junk that is in our own life. But what that does is that moves us to a perspective of humility. So now we are people with a new perspective, one at the cross alongside the other, one of a wounded, humble healer. And then our perspective shifts, not just by where we are located, but also by how we are looking at another. We don't just look at them and at their sin, we look into them. We see them and their value. You guys know the stories of when you just hear of one little part of somebody, when you judge somebody because of the way they quickly react to you, but you don't really know why. You judge somebody because of one thing that is posted on Instagram. But there's a bigger story behind all of that. There's more details. Paul, one of the authors of the Bible, says he won't even judge himself because he doesn't even know everything about himself. He only lets God do that. And because we can't see the majestic behind these clouds, we choose to know and affirm that they have unsurpassable worth and value. So then how does this perspective shift actually change our ability, or not our ability, our judgment? We look back on why we judge. If we have the perspective that we are forgiven and given worth, then when we are insecure, we, we know where our worth comes from and we're not trying to steal it from somebody else. When we have the perspective that we are with other people at the foot of the cross, we are not acting morally superior because we are sharing what we know and what they know and we're listening and learning alongside of them, not over them. And when we are tempted to to judge because we want people to get what they deserve. No, we're like, oh my gosh, I didn't get what I deserved. So I don't want you to get what you deserve. I want you to have forgiveness. And then when we want to project our stuff onto people, we're like, oh gosh, thank you. This is a good like clue as to what's going on with me. And we look inward. And when we want to judge because somebody is different and we're fearful of that, we move towards wonder and curiosity and we use tools like the Enneagram and Strength Finders to be like, oh my gosh, we have different values and that's good. Let's celebrate that and learn about what God values in this whole world, not just what I value. And then when we're tempted to judge because we don't want other people to judge us, first we recognize, oh my gosh, God has taken that and offered us forgiveness instead. 
So when we have a perspective clouded with mercy, it changes our desires to go take value from somebody else. And then when we have the right perspective, we have this clear, these clear eyes, it is then that we can move towards another. Because Jesus says, once you take that log from your eye, then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Because this kingdom is not just about one and done. It's about new life. It's about being bought back and redeemed. It's about hope for change. And that's what last night I was getting so stirred up as I was like thinking about cancel culture and why it just riles me up. It's because it seems that there's so many times that people are not offered a chance for new life of redemption, because that is this kingdom. Is, it is one that is about new life being offered and offered and offered and offered. And you know what? This kingdom also is not about me judging people that do that, because they too have the chance for new life. This passage ends in a very strange, seemingly um, ending. Jesus says, do not give to dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Pigs and dogs were uh, like were words that were used for pagans, for Gentiles, from Jews. And this this idea of a pearl, a treasure, was teachings and things that were valuable. And so, for me to say, hey, non Christians must operate in the same way that I do. No, they're, they're not submitting to this value that God has given. And, and so why would I ever be surprised if they're just going to throw that back in my face? But guess what? We're not supposed to ignore that. The whole entire sermon is saying, do these good deeds so that your Father in heaven may be glorified. Let your light shine. Move towards these people in restoration so that they may be children of God and wear these pearls and know Christ and his forgiveness. This whole passage, I feel like, is summed up in Jesus at Capernaum. He's there teaching at the temple, and these Pharisees come up with this woman who has been caught in adultery. And I can just imagine her, like if she's been caught in adultery, even what she's wearing and how she's just feeling and they put her on the ground. And there are these Pharisees with these stones in their hands saying, we are ready to stone her, to shame her, because of what she has done. Jesus says, hey, look at yourself. Look at this beam in your own eye. Whoever is innocent, be the first one to throw a stone. Jesus gets down on the ground, gets down to her level, begins writing in the sand. Then eventually he looks up. He looks at her, not this outward sin, but he looks at her and sees her value. Has ignored the walking around, around but sees her. Does anyone left? Does anyone condemn you? She looks at him and says, no. 
He says, neither do I condemn you. He forgives her. Now get up and sin no more. He wants restoration for her. And he saves this treasure, this truth that she has forgiven for her. He doesn't throw it away to people that are just going to trample on it. He gives it to her. And this, you guys, is what God does with us. He has come not to condemn us, but to save us. He has come as this good judge to forgive us. So he is getting down on the ground with us. He's looking at us. He's saying, I see you and all of you around. I've got this clear perspective. You have unsurpassable worth because I've given that to you. And you, you are forgiven. So get up and sin and judge no more. Amen.